and they would go on TV and show they sold $45 million house here and a 10 million here and 5 million there and all of it coal. Ready for this? It's complete bull****. Okay to get behind, just be aware. What changes are you making in that plan? How do you make more money? How do you invest that money? And what are the cool experiences and things you can do with money to help you live wealthy? Because being wealthy is much more than money. I realized that there's only a few variables to your wealth, right? There's not that many uh, when you really dig in. It became that really, really cool thing, Cole, where it's just more than what you wanted. All right, welcome back to Be Wealthy with Brett Tanner, episode 002. Cole, that is that is insane. That would be four Belize, uh, Cole. But no, for this, that joke won't land yet, but everyone will get that joke in the future. Welcome back. I am so excited. In our first episode, episode 001, we talked about the importance of wealth. What does it mean? What does it mean to you? Uh, we talked about your net worth tracker. If you have not watched that episode, go back and watch it first because we are going to build off that episode today and we're going to create a plan for you to be worth 50 million dollars. What? What, Cole? Did you just, are you kidding me? $50 million. I want you to think about how many people do you know? Not the fake online Real Housewives of Atlanta that are dead, absolutely dead broke, flying first class in private planes. They're totally broke. Google it. Look at the net worth of the average reality TV star, and it is laughable. My, as a real estate agent, one of the most rewarding things is that the company I work for, Keller Williams, is transparent. And by that, I mean you can actually actually see other agents production. And one of the coolest experiences that I got to have is one of the guys, Cole, who will remain nameless, but everyone can look it up and know who it was. Um, one of the guys on that show happened to be a Keller Williams agent. This is early on in the uh, one of those listing shows online. Uh, I think it was a million dollar listing and happened to be with Keller Williams, which was so incredible. And they would go on TV and show they sold $45 million house here and a 10 million here and 5 million there. And all of it, Cole, ready for this? It's complete bull****. In large part, it's total bull****. In other words, you can actually see what they sell. And my wife got to have a really interesting moment. I got to have one of those cool moments as a dude you very rarely have, which was we're watching this person who's selling, and it looks like selling hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars worth of real estate, who isn't really selling hardly anything. And my wife, I pulled up his production and I pulled up my own as a point of reference, not to say that I'm fantastic, Cole, but it was eye-opening for my wife to say, well, you're doing way more than them. And I said, yes, because it's all for TV. It's all a show. Like, oh, let's go look at this $50 million home. And they bought it and they just all came together. No, it doesn't really work like that. Uh, anyway, so the point of that is it's not real, right? So many of the net worth and what you believe in people, uh, it's not real, right? So you're, you see a lot of fake things out there. And I want to bring reality, transparency. And our show is all about how do you go take your life? How do you make more money? How do you invest that money? And what are the cool experiences and things you can do with money to help you live wealthy? Because being wealthy is much more than money. Uh, it's actually experiences. It's what you know. It's how you pass it on. There are so many other things than money. But today, 
It's about anchoring in your $50 million plan. So my goal in under 60 minutes is for you to leave with the plan. You've already got your net worth, your balance sheet from episode 001. Uh, 0001, Cole, when you have, have thousands, you got to do the third zero. I forgot that. So in episode 0002, we are going to cover how to get that $50 million plan. So as you're doing your net worth every single month, you've got a check-in point, right? You've got, here's where I'm at today. Here's where I need to be in January of next year. Here's where I need to be in January of 2028. And you've got a plan so you know that you are on or off track so that when you are done working, you land at the exact place that you chose, you wanted to be, and it allows you to live your absolute best life. So today it's all about how to actually do that plan. And so I want to go and I'm going to walk through as we do this. So in the show notes, there's a link to how you can get our 30-year plan, both the where you can track your net worth and the 30-year plan as an example. Now, you're not going to use the examples as your plan because your plan will be entirely unique to you. I also, it doesn't have to be limited to $50 million. That is the minimum amount that I want you to do in this exercise. You might say, hey, Brad, I don't need to be worth $50 million. Um, I don't care. Do $50 million or more. The, there, is a method, there is a method to this madness, which we'll cover later, but just stick with it. Do not put in a lower number. You can put in $100 or $200 million. You can make the number bigger. You can't make it smaller because I want you to get the gift inside of this exercise. I have done this for thousands, probably over 10,000 people have come to our live events where we teach this concept and they have to do it in advance. So I want you to go play full out and do it. And it's going to be hard. Cole, why is it going to be hard? Because Excel is hard. If you're a young person watching this, a young person like Cole, um, us hip young guys got to stick together. By the way, what's the comedian's name, Cole? It's like Nate. I don't know how you see his last name. Bogazi, Nate, whatever his name is. Nate, he did an amazing amazing Amazon. It wasn't a Netflix special. It was an Amazon special, one of the biggest comedians out there. And he's got this amazing joke in there. And he says, like, when you're 43 years old, which is where I'm at, and I hang out with a guy like Cole, I'm always like, hey, us young guys, we really got to stick together. You know, like we're young and hip. You know, we, we're as young guys, we got to really, really, really stick together. And then I'll see someone who's 46. I'm like, get away from me, old man. You got to get out of here. That's his joke. And it's, it's kind of how I feel. So Cole, us young guys, we got to learn, even us young guys uh, got to learn Excel. Uh, I actually did not know how to use Excel. If you do not know how to use Excel, I will argue for it. it's going to be hard for you to be rich because most of the things you're looking at later in life, whether it's a PL, you're trying to figure out a pivot table, you're trying to look at different fields and figure out how the return on this particular asset or inventory, you're going to be doing a lot of things in Excel. And if you don't know how to use it, you will have limitations in your earning potential. So as you go through this, Excel's positive. Good news, you need basic data and you're just going to key in large. This is just data entry, but there is a little bit of Excel formulas. You'll need to work through that. Uh, that won't be an issue um, for most. So, all right, let's go through this and let's look at how do we build our $50 million plan? So the first part should already be done, right? You started, this person started in January. They've got their basic Bank of America personal checking account This for $8,000 you see here. They have a Robinhood account uh, investing in some stocks. They've got a business savings account with $8,000. They've got a business checking account at Chase. And so each checking account has its own line. It needs to be separated. This person like me has got a Tesla. I have the Model S, biggest fan ever on Tesla. I love the car. It's the most efficient car ever. Uh, this person's got a Model 3 uh, and they're putting in the fair value. We recommend you putting the fair value uh, from Kelly Blue Book or whatever source you want to use, but don't do the, over, the value that you're not going to get. Usually you'll, uh, every trade-in will exceed fair value. 
put in the address of your primary residence there. Here's what it's worth. And you can see that it's, I would figure in, you get to figure in your appreciation. And we'll talk about the assumptions that you're going to make in your plan moving forward. Again, I put these amounts at about 85% of market value. Uh, while we're, we're changing this for an example here, I typically only change the values on my properties about once per year. Uh, if even that, right? I get into market value and then usually um, I'm 85%, I'm but I'm pretty conservative on those numbers. Whatever you pick, be conservative. I wouldn't recommend you go over 90% of fair market value to track your net worth so that it's an accurate representation of what you are really, really worth. Uh, we got a rental property here. You scroll down, total assets, just the sum of all of these items here, total here to 746,591. All right, really, really basic. We this person, we've got a credit card. If you're paying off your credit cards every month, you would not put them in there. So it'd only be if we're carrying a balance, $5,840, we would put that amount in there. All right, we've got some student loans here at 80,000 that we're deferring or they're not going down in value. Uh, we've got a Tesla, you can see as we're making payments, that's going down. In our home, our mortgage, you can see that it is going down because we're paying it down. The principal pay down as we pay it is occurring and you can see that here. Total liabilities are 683,000 and we subtract that out and we've got our net worth and we've got this nice, um, this person's crushing it, right? They're going, their net worth went from 62,000 to 66,000 to 71,000. Again, so when we key this in, if this was, if we were in March doing this, we would look here and the next thing we would wanna do is we're gonna go to our example and see, are we on or off track? Now these won't tie out perfectly, but I want you to look at, I give you two different examples, two different ways you could think about designing your $50 million plan. Do you are not locked into these. There are no guardrails on this. This is completely as they say in the business, Cole, this is wheels off. Okay. This is go time. You pick your own journey, choose your own adventure on how you want to become ridiculously wealthy. So I'm going to scroll over here. And so this person, uh, let's look at, and so the years, obviously 2023, we're not gonna have a time machine and go backwards, right? But this person and, and the numbers, again, don't tie out to it's not the same person, but we're going to, for the example, we're going to use here, this person started with $384,000. Okay. And now they're going to build out their $30 million plan. So the first thing I want you to do is scroll all the way over. And this is not going to be a $50 million plan. Like I said, it's 50 million plus this is going to be, this plan was 110 million, 552. I guarantee it did not start there. Probably started a hundred million and is started adding up all the numbers, it became that really, really cool thing, Cole, where it's just more than what you wanted, right? More. That's a, it's one of those great problems. Uh, he was going to give a loud woohoo. Uh, we've got a guy in one of our business, I'm sure he'll be on one of the episodes, who has the best woohoo I've ever heard in the business. All right, so now we've just got a big number. So you go over here to AF, um, what is this, 49. You're going to pick $50 million a minimum. You can pick a different number. And from there, you're going to go back and we're going to start, right? So you've got if you, whatever you already had will be your first column. And so in 2024, if you're doing this right now, you're going to fill in your actuals, right? So then now we're going to go look at what, how are you going to make up your $50 million net worth? How are you going to think about it? So row two's got your assumptions. And so the real estate over time, if we took a 50 year period of time is averaged about five to 6%. I use 6% in this example. It's going to appreciate it roughly 6% per year. Now this assumption here this is an example. They're using loans paid off in 20 years. If I take, I always try, if I'm taking long-term debt, I always want a 30 year fixed mortgage as opposed to a 15. If you run the math, you only save the interest rates a little bit lower 
on a 15-year mortgage than a 30-year. However, the payment's radically higher because you're paying it off in half the time. If you're ever thinking about getting a 15-year mortgage, I would encourage you to not do it. I would get a 30-year mortgage, and if you want to pay additional principal, you can, but you've got the flexibility. What if you went into a time where cash flow was lower? You could actually pay the 30-year payment, so you're not paying as much, you're not paying it off as quick, but you've got options. You always, the most options in wealth typically wins the game. In the stock market, they were going to put an additional $20,000 per year, and it was going to earn 4%. That's extremely low. Um, and then we got a whole life policy, and, that, and that's going to, and we're, we're estimating that's going to earn a little high. I would, I would put in there at 4%, because that's the guarantee in my whole life policy. So now you go, all right, where are we at? So they started with 20000 the first year it's in there. Here's their current. These are all current. And here's what they're going to add, right? We're going to add four investment properties at $250,000. And those are going to appreciate at 6%. So that $250,000 house here on row 15 becomes 265 next year, right? The next year it's 280. Right? Those are the prices that I've got to buy them at. Right, This one's going to appreciate, right? but in the future, I'm going to likely be buying those at higher prices. And I'm just using, a, some, we're managing to find the same $250,000 houses, but that may change in the future. So this person's buying four $250,000 homes per year. If you're going to finance, this is the part of the process where you start thinking, okay, how much money is that going to take? So your plan, maybe you're only going to buy one or two homes the first year, but by year five, you've grown your income to where you could start buying four or five homes per year. So if you're going to finance with 20% down in this example, so they need $50,000 down per home, they're buying four homes. This person's going to need an extra $200,000 to go be able to execute their plan in addition to the other needs, right? They need 20,000 up here. So they're going to need 220, an extra $220,000. If you don't have that, that's no problem. We could grow into it, but we got to start making some assumptions, right? Same thing down here. Now we're going to look at the debt. Now, somehow here, this would, you know, we're financing it at hundred percent. So that wouldn't be real. These, these numbers would be 200,000. Again, it's an example. You're going to go build this out and we can't build it out for you because we don't know what you're going to do. Some people might put 30% down. Some people might put 50% down, right? So depending on your strategy is going to determine what goes into this spreadsheet. Right, and you can see each year where they're where they're doing that, and then we're going to go get the amortization schedule. So when this pays down, this is done as a twenty-year mortgage. You're going to go and do any type of. Let's see if I can do this here. Cool. It's always it's always sketchy when you do stuff in in real time. But I would just go to you know a thirty-year amortization calculator, and you're just going to key in that data into here and. And so there is some, there are Excel formulas, but it would be impossible for us to, to get that out to everybody at the same time. But if I've got a, if I'm going to have a house here, I've got a $250,000 loan amount on 30 years at this rate, I'm going to be able to go grab that amortization schedule. And then I'm actually going to be able to just plug in those numbers. So I'm going to take those numbers that would come from here and plop those in and see how I'm paying it down over time. Cause that's going to drive, right? You can see my liabilities are going up because I'm buying more stuff, but the actual loan amounts on the prior ones are going down, right? You can see I'm paying down roughly $10,000 per year this year, nine, about 9,000 each year there. So this person here, right, let me go back up to the asset side. On year four or five, they decided to change assets. They went and bought a bigger building, right? I think this is an apartment. They bought a 200 unit apartment building for 7 million bucks, right? And so now you can see the value that's appreciating at 6%. 
You can see the formulas we include for you there. Some of the formulas are included, some aren't. Now this person changed, right? We got to year five or six. Now we're going to buy four $300,000 houses. The price of the homes went up, which you can see here. We were continually buying $250,000 homes um, for five years, but then it changed and we had to go spend more money to get houses. And there's those how those appreciate. So you're going to start by just dropping in one or two houses and see what that looks like. And then you're going to go and play the game. As I drop in those houses, I run the numbers. Did I get to $50 million plus? And it's going to take you three or four rounds to get the assets right. So you're plugging in the right assets to see, did I get to my target number? Where do I need to be? And again, it's going to be unique to you. As I think about this, there's some things that I want you to think about as you go through it. Number one, where is your unfair advantage? When I really look at wealth, when I really look at it, the people that do well typically have an unfair advantage. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a very specific example to me. I am in the business. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, in Maricopa County, and we sell a tremendous amount of homes, right? We represent buyers and sellers, and we've been selling over $100 million worth of real estate for a really long period of time. And so my unfair advantage, I have access to inventory and opportunities that come to me where there's a distressed seller or someone just needs all cash or they want to, someone wants to sell their home and they need the money in the next week, they need it tomorrow, they need it very, very quickly. And so there can be opportunities like that can come up. So my unfair advantage is number one, I have deal flow coming to me from my core business. The other thing I've got, I've got this expertise, I've got a knowledge base, so I know what a home is worth in Maricopa County. And because I've sold so much real estate, I've got, I really understand the mechanics of that. I know what it, it's what I can buy it for today. I know what it's worth at some point in the future. And I also know the amount of construction needed to repair it. So I know my actual profit. I know how long it's going to take. So I can kind of see the returns and how that would work out. And I can I also, if I know if it rents, I know exactly the rental rates and how that will perform based on the rest of the things I have. So my unfair advantage is that I've got access to this inventory where I've got a skill set that allows me to take advantage of it, right? I always say that like, if I know that Tesla stock, I get some tip or I'm on some, and I get some letter, or I find I somehow I get insider information. If I act on that in Tesla stock, I go to jail. In real estate, when I find a fantastic opportunity, Cole, and I go buy it and I make $100,000 flipping it, you know what happens, Cole? People clap, right? It's awesome. It's actually what you should be doing. So where is your unfair advantage? I'll give you another example. If you're, let's just say you're out there and you're a dentist and you're running your dental practice and you're like, Brett, I don't have access to real estate or these hard money loans you talk about. So what should go on my plan? Well, you may be paying a fortune to finance the equipment. I believe they're called the the CEREC machines. Cool. Now I don't, don't worry about how much, why I know so much about the dental business, but if I'm a dentist, I'm going to look at, am I paying financing costs for these machines? If I was able to buy those machines, or sometimes when you go get a crown done, Cole, I had a crown done the other day, and some dentists are shipping that off to the lab. Other dentists, Cole, when you go get a crown built, they're going to actually able to put that crown in while you're still there because they've got the machine. In other words, they're not shipping it off to the lab. They've already got the machine actually at the location. Now that machine's extremely expensive, but if you're a dentist and you can reduce your time because you don't have to bring them back in there and all those costs, it actually the best investment you might make might be buying that machine or reducing your cost. That actually might be on your wealth plan, depending if you make money. What if you now know other dentists that have the same problem? So as you become more successful, you actually get in the financing business uh, of financing equipment, or you could finance your own receivables, right? Some of you have payment plans or some of these other creditors. You might want to take on some of your own financing. So there's different 
angles that you may have. Conversely, you might have your best friend is in some sort of weird eclectic investment strategy, like natural gas royalties is a, is a very specific example, Cole. One of your friends in there. So I, I, again, talking about me, I've got a really good friend in that space. And so I invest money in that space because I believe in the person and I have an unfair advantage because I've got an expert in that space. So think about what is your area of expertise what are the networks that you have? What are your relationships? And how could you leverage those as you're building out this plan? So the last example I would give you is if you're if you're a flipper, right? You're out there, you're a real estate investor who's flipping homes. And the big aha light bulb moment in my life was when I was I was a I was I was literally like a hardcore dedicated flipper. I believe there was no other ways to monetize a deal. If you find an investment hey, for single family rental and you did not want to keep a single family property and you did not want to keep it as a rental, my method or my methodology, the only way I could make money was to flip that home if I didn't want to keep it as a rental. And it turns out you can you can actually sell that contract. I could sell the property and I could carry the paper. I could become the bank in that transaction. There's so many different ways I could think about it. And I didn't know that in the beginning, right? The more exits you can get out of an investment, the greater chance you have achieving high returns if you have more exits. Meaning if I go buy a million dollar house and I put 500 grand and the only way I can make money is sell it for 2 million, the market could change, something could happen, that may not happen. But if I've got multiple, multiple ways that I can think about that transaction or multiple ways I can get out of it or monetize it, I can make more money. And so the aha moment in my life went from, uh, I used to believe that wholesaling or assigning contracts was that grimy, disgusting thing that terrible people do. And it's just not true. Like any business or they're bad actors in any business, of course, but wholesaling, agreeing to buy someone's house, I might want to flip it. But if I know that that's not perfect or our capital's tied up or all of our projects are full, I might take that contract and assign it to someone else. And so the light bulb moment in my life came when I took a contract, I sold it to someone else and I made about $25,000 is what they paid me for that contract to go do it. And I said, hey, I, I, I'd love to lend you the money. Now, when I was flipping the home, I was putting the money into it anyway. I was, you know, I was financing. I wasn't using hard money. And so I was like, hey, why don't I give you the money? They were going to get hard money anyway, and I'll lend you the money. So on this particular deal, I would have made about $50,000 to flip it. And instead, I sold that contract and I made $25,000. I loaned them the money and an in interest over six months, I made about another $15,000. So I made 40,000 bucks. Now I would have made 50 if I did all the work, but I didn't, I just did the front end work to get the contract. I didn't have to do you know, all of the construction from the countertops to the floors and managing utilities on, utilities off and people and contractors and stuff, I was able to take that contract, sell. They did all the work. They ended up making about $20,000, $25,000, a good deal for them. But I made $40,000 because I found the deal and to become the bank, right? So I found a better way that allowed me to make more money. So I would have you, if you're out there, what find your unfair advantage. There's ways, there are additional ways that you can make money. You can increase your income by increasing your skills and thinking differently, which is what this podcast is all about. Next part is you're thinking through it. We've got to think about what kind of returns are you aiming for, right? As an investor, you only have one job. As an investor, for the lifetime of you being an investor, you have one job, which is your pricing in the risk, right? Your only job as an investor is pricing your risk. People think it's all these other things, studying the market and knowing how things go up over time and, and how different markets are related and how different facts and whether that's inflation and GDP, how these, all these things intersect and all those things are important. But your job as an investor is to price in risk, 
So if you're going to take an investment as massive risk, like I'll go on some Facebook group, Cole, and we'll see like, I want to make 35% cash on cash returns on my money. The only way you can do that is to expose your money to extreme risk, right? You got to price in that risk. Right, so we're gonna look at different models. I'll, I'll share with you a basic model that I've lived by for a very, very long period of time. When I think about investing my money, I think about three primary buckets. So when I'm looking to invest my money, I think about three buckets, 40, 40, 20. The first bucket of 40%, I am looking to make safe, consistent returns with very, very low risk. I'm looking to six to 8%, uh, and that's 40% of my money, I'm gonna invest it with the goal of being getting six to 8%. What does this really look like? That's gonna be single family rentals. When you boil it all out and you, you figure that no matter what the gross rent is, if you paid all cash, typically about 35% of the gross rents will be the expenses. You will net about 65%. That's after vacancy, uh, repairs throughout the year, taxes, insurance, HOA management fees, all of that will equal about 35%, provided you landlord really well, so you're netting 65%, which is gonna land you at about six to 8%. You're gonna hear people say, I get 12 or 13% returns on real estate. Maybe if you're buying in a war zone, or maybe if you just don't know how to do math, uh, that was supposed to be an hilarious joke, Cole. You will find that people that can't do math have some of the greatest returns you've ever seen, right? If you can't do it, why and why stop, Cole? If you can't do math, why stop saying you got a 30% return? Why not say you got a 3,000% return so you really sound cool online? Uh, so next, all right, so I've got my first 40%. That was supposed to be hilarious, Cole. When you're doing the podcast solo, you just imagine 10,000 people are laughing. And so the next thing is 40%. 40% of your funds, I'm looking to get a little more return. The next 40% bucket, I'm looking to get 8 to 12%. Right, if you look over the long haul, they all, all the the people that love the stock market mutual fund game tout eight percent as being the return. I have zero dollars uh, of mine exposed to the stock market because they don't have an unfair. I don't have an unfair advantage there, um, but you're going to look for that next 40%, eight to 12%. For me, this is where I go to alternative investments, but really hard money loans is where I go. I love the debt space. I love finding people that need capital, but great collateral, right? I want to look, I want my target goal is if someone's buying a home for $200,000 as an investor, I hope that they're getting a deal. If they're not getting a deal, that scares me for a variety of reasons. But if someone's buying a home for $200,000, I hope my hope is that that home is worth at least $220,000 to $240,000 that sits, meaning they're buying it at a 10 to 20% discount to market value. So when I've gotten that, I'm looking to look at their purchase price and ideally lend them 80 to 70% of that amount. So I'm going to lend $160,000 to $140,000 on a property they're buying for $200,000 today that's worth $220,000 to $240,000. I want to charge roughly one point and around 12% interest. That's the hard money. And that, that's going to be very accurate across the country uh, as you think about that number. 
And so that return relative to the risk, well, what is my risk? If it's worth $240,000 and I've loaned someone $160,000 on a six-month loan because they're going to flip it, uh, the market, if you think about the percentage there, right, the market's got to go down, and we could run the exact math, but roughly 20 to 30% in six months for me to lose money. That is, has never happened, right? And so at, at six months, you've got the opportunity to balloon, you've got the opportunity to get out, or you could extend it if you wanted. I can tell you all the loans I've done, I've always extended um, because it makes sense, right? I did a great loan on the front end. Why wouldn't I want to extend that if they need more time? And usually that's done for another percent. So that second bucket, I'm looking to get eight to 12%. I'm looking to expose my money to greater risk because I want the higher return. Lastly, the bucket is the 20% left. And I call this the moonshot money. It's the money that I'm going to put at risk or I expect a possibility would be that I lose it. I want a huge return. I want 20 30% plus returns. Usually this is going to be businesses. This is emerging markets. I'm going to take a risk with this capital, the hope being that it, perform, it creates an outsized return. So I think about my money in those buckets as you're building your wealth plan. What are your buckets, right? And you could change the percentages and you can change the game. But if all 100% of your money is going to be in 30% plus return stuff, I can tell you what's going to happen. Not much. You're going to lose it all pretty quickly, right? Warren Buffett's got two very simple rules as it comes to investing money. Warren Buffett's rule number one, don't lose money. Number two, don't forget rule number one. That has been the most sage advice for all investors forever. The second piece of advice would be from yours truly, which is make sure you are correctly pricing in the risk. You have objectively looked and are pricing in the risk. All right. So next, if you're looking at your wealth plan, again, we're going out to be worth $50 million. You've got to go, you're going to go through your wealth plan, update it, thinking about those buckets, thinking about your unfair advantage. And you're going to make up the balance of it with what investments do you have access to. So you may, if you're that dentist we talked about, and the equipment financing isn't an option, you say, hey, I don't want to, I don't want to invest anything. I don't want to do the research. I don't want to do that. Great. You're going to need a long-term plan. Go invest in the Vanguard Total Market Index Fund. Uh, we can drop a link to that actual ticker, put that in there, and just invest over time. So there's an amazing book called The Simple Path to Wealth that basically walks you through investing in the total market index. If you're just going to put money in for 30 years, close your eyes, wake up 30 years from now, the total market index is a way to do it. Again, you're going to average, hopefully, that around that 8% over a period of time, which is great from a purely passive investment standpoint. Uh, I also think when you go to your plan, you really need to think about, am I going to play more passively in this or more active? Again, the dentist putting the money in the total market index and just buying a mutual fund and buying the same amount every single month consistently over 30 years, totally passive, right? But you're not going to have the opportunity to make some, to utilize your unfair advantage or to get into some tax advantage or some larger moonshot type opportunities. But if you don't want to do the work and you want to be totally passive, put your head down, put away money, that might be your option. So beyond when you're looking at your wealth plan, there's some other areas I would have you think about, right? This is going to be a longer episode, but we're really anchoring in the foundation of we've got your plan now. What are the other things you should be thinking about? And there's some real basics we should get involved because the best time to build your wealth plan is actually before you have wealth. And I see so many people that are younger 
who don't have a will, they don't have a trust, and they're not doing those things because, hey, I'll do that when I get wealthy. And, that, and you could absolutely do it then. It's actually better to set it up and set up your legacy and figure these things out early as it guides a lot of your other decisions. So everybody needs three documents. When you leave here today, the action item I would have you do, number one, go get a will. Even if you're young, the things you care about, organize it so that if, if someone's there, uh, and they're managing your estate, there's a simple way to do it. You should have a healthcare power of attorney. You should have a medical power of attorney. You should have a financial power of attorney. The healthcare and the medical one are likely the same thing, right? So healthcare and medical, you need a financial power of attorney. And if you're planning on being ridiculously wealthy, you likely need a trust, right? I've never seen, I have never seen a wealthy person, a really, really wealthy person that didn't have a trust. So should you have one, if you want to be wealthy, I have yet to see a very, very wealthy person that did not have a trust. And the earlier you set it up, the easier it is. Next thing you want to think about in your wealth plan is you're building it, right? What are the tax advantaged accounts? Taxes being one of the largest expenses you're going to have in your life. What are the tax advantaged accounts you can have? And so you would think about your work. For example, if you're an employee, contributing into, I'm not a huge fan of 401ks. However, if your employer is offering you some sort of match, go look at that and see if it makes sense. In a lot of cases, it's free money. You're allowed to, you, I would put in the minimum amount that I could do to get the maximum match that I'm getting from my employer. And I would use that as an additional tool that's a tax advantage account. Beyond that, you could look at there's defined benefit plans, there's cash balance plans. I am a huge, huge proponent, which is counter to most of the wealth community. I love a Roth account. I love a self-directed Roth. And, and the biggest reason for that is I can do math. And when you eliminate taxes as one of your largest expenses, it can create insane returns. So if you are under the income limits where you can fund a Roth, 100% get in a Roth, get it self-directed and get that in where you are investing it again in your unfair advantage. Uh, if you make a lot of money, you make too much money, you've heard that myth, oh, you, you, know, you can't fund a Roth because you make too much. It's absolutely not true. And that's what we're going to dispel a lot of myths. You'll go out there and if you were to go out to dinner tonight and talk to a group of people, hey, can you fund a Roth if you make a lot of money? So you can't do that. It's only for people that don't have any money. It's absolutely not true. You just have to go about it a different way. And the term a lot of people use called the backdoor Roth. But there's a way to do it. I love my friends at Horizon Trust. They do one of, I think they're the best custodian out there for what they do. They'll walk you through it. They'll help you get it set up and they can take your situation. A lot of us may have an old 401k some old company retirement plan, we're able to convert that, get it self-directed. And, and all self-directing means is we're putting your money in your control. I don't believe that anyone out there is going to care more about your money than you do. And so getting your retirement account, even if you had in the stock market or you had something, nothing stops you from taking your 401k, getting it self-directed and putting it right back into the same investments that you had before. Nothing stops you from doing that. I'm not anti-financial advisor. I'm just pro you. And so as you go look at it, make sure when you're, if you're self-directing that account, give it a great custodian and put it again where you've got your unfair advantage. The biggest benefit, uh, you know, you've got, there's two types of tax advantage accounts. You've got the kind where you're going to get a deduction today, your standard IRA, your 401k, your, your standard thing where you're getting a deduction today. As you pull that money, it's not going to pay taxes as it grows. You'll pay taxes once you pull that money out. The beauty of the Roth, you've already paid the tax today. You're putting in after-tax dollars. So you already put in there, but all of the gain, all of the returns that you get, right? Your 
all of the gain you're getting, you're, you're not paying tax on it on the back end. So it becomes a question, right? Do you want to pay tax on the seed or do you want to pay tax on the harvest? Cole, that's an old country thing right there. But let's just use a 30-year period of time here, and it doesn't really matter at age 30 to age 60. But let's assume someone's sitting here and they funded a Roth retirement account, and because and they put $6,500 in there, they're going to put $500 a month. They're going to make 12% over 30 years. Uh, and you can go to BeWealthyCalculator.com. You can play along. This is the I use this app. This is full disclosure. It's ours. It's free. Uh, I built. I absolutely love looking at the different time frames and the financial returns that I can make over different periods of time. So I'm always on here messing around. But over 30 years, if I put away $6,500, let's assume I put it in a regular retirement account. Cole, I got just shy of 2 million bucks over 30 years. But I'm putting away $500 a month. It's not the most amount of money. Now, the question would be, so if I did an irregular IRA, as I pull that money out, I'm going to pay tax. I'm going to pay tax on that. It's going to be typically probably the way it's set up, long-term capital gains, 20%. So let's just assume I pull the whole thing out, uh, depending on the year. I'm going to owe roughly $400,000. Get with your CPA. Make sure that's there's some many variables that would apply in that, but make sure that number sounds right to your CPA. But roughly $400,000. Now, if I'd put that money in a Roth account, I've already paid the tax on the front end, but all of the gain, all of the gain, Cole, I pull out that two million, I don't pay tax. So it's it's one thing on two million. Now let's change the numbers and assume, hey, I started with sixty five hundred dollars. As this thing got going, I got a backdoor ride as solo four hundred one k that had a Roth component, and that was able to put away more money. And that example, you can put away. I think it's sixty nine thousand dollars per person. If you're an employee, you could set up a solo four hundred one k as a Roth. Horizon Trust could help you figure all this out if you wanted to use them or another great custodian. I bring that. Up. So now I'm going to put in. We started, we'll say we did one year, and then what coal is 69,000. I gotta get my calculator out here. So I'm just gonna break this down monthly, 69,000 divided by 12, 57.50 per month, 5750. So now let's assume you crank things up over time, same 30 year period. We're starting with $69,000, and now every year we're gonna put in $69,000, but we're gonna contribute it monthly and so that's 57.50 times 12 is 69,000. We're making 12%. What is that amount of money? $22 million, right? It's a tremendous amount of money. But if you can build it in your Roth, you just went from paying, you didn't pay $4 million in taxes, right? So what are the, as I get money into my Roth, where do you think the lowest risk, highest return investments go? All of them, all of them go in my Roth account, right? So you can play, go to BeWealthyCalculator.com. Uh, check it out and see the different ways you can play uh, with your money to think differently about it. And you want to see the different periods of time. Lastly, one of the strategies I have my wealth plan, I am the biggest proponent. I believe in dividend paying whole life insurance. Uh, there's so many myths out there. I think life insurance really, as you're thinking about your financial plan, is one of the most mis uh, misunderstood, right? It is totally misunderstood largely promoted by Dave Ramsey, Susie Orman, and all these people that made all their money speaking, telling people about money and not actually investing money and doing as an investor. And so the things that the people I bring on the show, the things I talk about are things I'm actually doing in my life that have created results. These aren't theories. These are things that I wish someone would have grabbed me at 20 years old and walked me down some of these paths. Life insurance is one of those things that I wish I would have understood more younger. I bought a, uh, a pretty significant policy uh, 10 years ago, dividend paying whole life. And I bought a policy 10 years ago and I bought 
Uh, I could have afforded more, but I, I, I bought a pretty good size policy. Going back, I don't have any regrets in life. If I could go back and I bought a much larger policy, because as you, it gets 10 years old, this becomes an amazing tool, right? There's a death benefit function that takes care of my family, but that's not why I got it. I got it because I can use this as a financial tool. The money you put in after tax, but it grows tax-free. You can pull it out tax-free and you it earns 4%. So right now where rates are high, I'm able to go to my policy and buy borrow money between 5 and 6% is the interest rate I'm paying, but I'm earning a minimum of 4%, which gives me, I'm actually only paying 2% interest. So when I take that out and I'm able to do a great hard money loan, if I needed to, if I wanted to use this to fund a loan because all my cash was out, I can go lend at 12%. I'm making a 10% arbitrage. Now you don't want to take undue risk because you get hurt. If I go make that investment, it goes bad. I still owe the money to my life insurance policy. But it's this concept of infinite banking, meaning I'm making a return inside the policy. And even though I'm borrowing, I'm borrowing, I'm using it as collateral. So that's still earning. And then I'm able to take the same dollars and go over here. It's where that infinite concept comes. I'm essentially using $1 in two places at the same time. It's a, it's a really big concept. Uh, and if you, if you look at it, large banks are some of the biggest purchasers of life insurance in the world. Why does Wells Fargo on their balance sheet have $50 billion of life insurance? Because it's a fantastic investment. Why does the average retail investor not have it? Because his neighbor said it was bad and someone got taken advantage of. And yes, there is more miss and terrible things in life insurance, probably than most other fields. It's highly commissioned and it can be very, very confusing. You need to understand what you're getting, but used correctly, it can be an absolutely incredible tool. I would recommend go read the book, Becoming Your Own Bank by Nielsen Nash. We'll drop a, a link in the show notes. This book is written like I understand. It's written for a 10-year-old, which is absolutely perfect. It's the level I want to uh, read at. I got to tell you, I love what Alex Hermosi said. He came out and he said, all of your writing should be written at the third grade level because 50% of the population reads it below uh, a fifth grade level and 50% reads above it. And the people that you think are sophisticated will really appreciate you making it simple. Me not being that intelligent, I absolutely love the simplicity of that book. Becoming Your Own Bank, it's the infinite banking concept. Go read that book and see if you want that to be a part of your wealth plan. But you've got to figure out your tax-advantaged accounts. Where do you want that in there? Right next, you're going to go, there's different investment, there's different asset classes or investments. So now you got to think through, you think through the financing component, think through the different asset classes you might have in your 30-year plan. Is it all going to be single-family residential? Is there commercial? Do you go five years into the future and then you you sell the single family homes and then you buy a larger building, right? Your, your plan, again, it's unique to you. So you're going to go through, figure out this plan and really spend the time. This exercise should take you a couple hours to work through. At the end of it, once you're done with this 30-year plan, you may never tweak it. You may wait six, eight months and make some tweaks as you're updating every month, realizing, hey, these are some things I hadn't thought about yet. But get large part, the, the two-hour two-hour lift initially, that is the work. So you're, again, as you're reviewing it, you're reviewing your on or off track and you're asking the question, once you do your net worth every month, you're looking to where you're supposed to be, right? So if this was my example, and again, these don't tie out perfectly here, but again, if I'm, if I'm sitting here and I'm on my 30-year plan and let's say my net worth was $621,000, and again, I'm on my regular balance sheet over here, I'm keying it every month, and I get to, let's just say June or July, and I'm at about $850,000 and I need to be 
for 2025 here, I need to be at 927,000. How would I feel about that? If I started at 621, I'm about at 850 halfway through. I am ahead of pace, right? I am more than on track to where I need to be. Now, if it's June or July and I'm at about 685,000, I've got to make some changes, right? I've got to change some things I'm doing. So it's okay to get behind. Just be aware. What changes are you making in that plan? On my way up, I could tell you if you were to talk to my wife, there were times we got off track and that's where things got super lean, super, super lean at home because I, I realized that there's only a few variables to your wealth, right? There's not that many uh, when you really dig in, right? The variables are time. How long are you going to place that money out for? Right, again, four variables to wealth. How long are we going to invest for? What's that time horizon? Again, we're using 30 years in this example. Second variable is what did you start with? How much money do you have right now in investable assets, right? What do you actually have that you can invest? Third variable, what can you contribute monthly? What are you actually gonna put away monthly? And lastly, what is the return? If you look at that, three of the four variables you can change, right? Time is, on this example, if we're sticking with 30 years, that's fixed. So we've whatever amount of money you have today is a variable that you cannot change. You can, if we're doing a 30 year plan in this exercise, you can't change that. So the only two things you can change are how much you put away monthly and what the return will be. So why did I go back? My wife would say there, she's like, babe, what are we doing? Why are we making these decisions? And I've always locked in my fixed costs at home. And so I would have to even lower in lower those fixed costs because we're just going to go out to eat less or we're going to do things less because I am immovable on putting away the certain amount of money I need to get every month because I am committed to hitting my health plan, my health plan, my wealth plan. I am extremely committed to making sure that I hit that number. Next thing I want to talk about, um, when you're looking at this and you look at this wealth plan, all of life has costs, right? I've been saying this forever that life has costs and you get to choose when you pay them, right? You either pay now right? And some things, or you pay later. When you think about this, when are you paying, right? I love watching these young 20, 30 year olds, right? They're, they're on Instagram. They're gallivanting around. I don't have a job. I'm all freestyle. I'm a free spirit going and Hey, I think that's awesome. The question we're going to have is what is that lifestyle? And what are the, what are the costs? In other words, you're not paying the cost today, right? You're enjoying this amazing life, which is beautiful. However, do you end up paying the cost at 70? Right. Is it much harder to get fired up and work at 70? Now, I'm not saying, and again, I'm not saying when you should pay them. I'm just letting everyone here know that life has caused, there's soft costs. Uh, that wasn't my journey, right? My journey was, I went to college in 99. I spent one year partying at ASU. And I had this eye-waking moment, Cole. I was at a party. Guy rolls in, uh, would seem like a young guy now, seemed like he's a thousand years old. Then he was 27 years old. Comes to this party and I'm like, dude, what, what are you doing here? I mean, again, 19, what's a 27-year-old doing here? He's like, oh, man, I just uh, I think I'm going to graduate next year. And I'm thinking, holy shit, did you get a doctorate? You got multiple degrees? No, this guy is just close to getting his four-year degree, and he's been there for, you know, whatever it's been, eight years. And it was in that moment I realized I got to make sure I'm not this guy. And so I kind of distanced myself from some of my friends. I didn't really love college. I wanted to be an attorney. Once I figured out I didn't want to be an attorney, uh, I thought I wanted to be an attorney. Once I realized I didn't want to be one, uh, I wanted to get through college as quick, quick as I possibly could. So I started taking actual classes at the community college uh, so I could load up on my 15, 18 hours from ASU. I would go to the community college for the extra hours that would transfer in because I wanted to get it done in three years. Uh, I punched it out in three years uh, and I could graduate when I was still six to 12 credits short, provided I would go back. So I actually walked and I and never went back. So 
Cole, I have one of the coolest deep diploma holders you've ever seen. It's incredible. It's majestic. Uh, but I never went back. And part of that was I, I realized that I, I didn't want to be an attorney and I wanted to get to work. I just wanted to get after it. And so it's funny, my wife would tell the story today, is that in my early 20s, uh, my girlfriend at the time, I met her at 19. She's my wife of three kids today. We've been together. We've been married for was it 18 years now. And uh, the interesting thing was I I partied and drank less back then. Not that I don't drink a ton now, but I I drank zero back then. I would work. I would get up every day. I'd work all day. And I was paying the cost. And so from the periods of 20 to 30, I was all in on working on my skills. I was building my income. I was getting my wealth plan in order and getting the compounding started, right? The earlier you start, the better it can be. And I remember a period of time when I look around at all my peers, and I think this will be instructional for all the young people. If you're making decisions that are radically different than your peers that are positive decisions, meaning, hey, I'm not going out because I'm saving money. I'm not going out tonight because I'm reading the next book and I'm growing my skills. They're all going to call you out for it. Right, people that you love will call you out for things. Right, they're, they'll either call you out, or sometimes they might love you, but they're giving you terrible advice. Just be, just because they love you and they're your family, they may not be the best financial stewards and may not be the ones to give you that great advice. But for me, there was a period of time I'm working really hard. We're doing all the right things in wealth. It felt like I was going nowhere. I could see it in my balance sheet that it's going up, but it's going up very slow. Right, it's like this. You're pushing um, the story. I always think is you're pushing this, you start with a snowball and you keep pushing up the mountain. That snowball gets bigger, but it's not till you get the top of the mountain where you kind of get to experience the coasting where it starts rolling down the mountain and getting bigger and bigger. You've got to do that front end work. And I think so many people aren't, aren't, aren't willing to do the work. And, and I remember there's a moment where my wife was like, Hey, you, you're reading these books, you're doing all these things, and every friend we have is doing radically better than we are. Look how they're living, they're traveling, they these cars, they got these houses. And I said, yeah, but in 10 years, they're never going to have anything. They spend 100% of what they make, and they're never going to be anywhere. And if you look at over a 10-year period, what's going to happen in 10 years, they'll be totally lost. In 20, they won't even understand how we did it. And so now I can tell you, as someone who's lived it for 20 years, um, they don't understand it. My friends came to me now, they say, Brett, when did you... When did the gap between us become so much like financially? Like, where did that happen? I was like, dude, it happened 20 years ago. I was making decisions 20 years ago and paying a price that you wouldn't pay. So just realize that life has soft costs. You can have the biggest world you possibly can. You just have to realize what those costs are and are you willing to pay them? And you're going to pay them. You're going to pay now or you're going to pay later. So as we're wrapping it up here on episode 002, I want everyone to leave with a few action items. Number one, I want you to go through, figure out where your unfair advantage is. I want you to go through your balance sheet and make sure you've got your, your, your monthly net worth statement nailed. I want you to go to your counter and schedule two hours to go build out your 30-year plan to be worth over $50 million. I would love for you to reach out to us and tell us how that went and tell us what your takeaway. Most importantly, what we want to know, what did you learn from that exercise? As you went through it, you completed it, what um, what you know, what did you actually learn? What was the aha that you had as you went through that process? So go out, think about the tax advantage accounts, the other non, the the tax advantages for advantaged accounts versus non. We'll get way more into the, into the future. We mentioned a couple books. Go read The Psychology of Money. Read The Simple Path to Wealth and really focus on this plan. I want you to go out. This is the Be Wealthy Podcast with Brett Tanner. Go out, be wealthy.